Long time, man. I know it's been a long, long time. I think the last time, what was in, uh, was it Vancouver or Montreal? What was that? When when we had the standoff on the debaters? That's where we first met. Yeah. And then, uh, you uh, greeted me into comics. And that oh, that's a, right. Had a big impact on me. Did it? Yes, it did. You. Uh, that's right. You opened for me, and that was fun. Yeah. When I met you in Canada, it was it surprised me that uh, I mean you were a Canadian comic. You lived up there, didn't you? Yeah, I was American. I'm American, but right. I lived there for eleven years. Yeah. Well, how did that? How, how the hell did that? What? Why'd you run away, Daryl? What, <laughs> <laughs> what? What made you leave the states? Uh, I married uh, uh, a lady uh-huh. in L.A., uh-huh. and uh, she was uh, from a particular part of the world that doesn't take any horse shit. Uh-huh. Uh, rhymes with Israel. Uh-huh. And uh, she called me in a bunch of bullshit. I deserved it. And she uh, threatened to kill me uh evening at the improv, had me assassinated, I mean, shot and whatnot. And so then she called all the bookers that I had in my books and told them that I was a liar and a con man and an asshole. And uh, so then I was like, I got no place to go. So I had one. Whoa, 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 wait, back up, hey, man. Hey, man, listen, you are. <laughs> that, that sounds like a fucking rich story. Hey, listen, I've been, try- <laughs> I've been trying to tell you this story for a long time, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so you're just a young comic how old are you man i was 27 at the time and where'd you move you so you started comedy in, in, in seattle in seattle, in seattle yeah. what now why'd you end up in seattle how did you grow up there no my uh my father lived in seattle uh and i wanted to meet him so i moved from vegas after i graduated from high school to find him in seattle i play a little college basketball up there Let's wait talk. so you grew up in las vegas yeah i guess we better we better start there because uh I didn't know anybody grew up in Vegas. Wait, so your mom ended up in Vegas? Yeah, my mom, uh, my I'm a matriarch. They all moved to Vegas from Arkansas. And yeah. And my mom had me and my sister in Vegas. And your dad wasn't around? My dad was uh, in the Air Force, went to Vietnam, came back a little crazy. And then he moved to Seattle uh, and started his, uh, he became a, a pimp and a drug dealer. And so my mom chased him up there with me and my two sisters. And then he didn't like them there, so she went back to Vegas with us and then i went chasing after him when i was 18 how old are you man 46 all right so your old man was in vietnam he flew in vietnam yeah and he came back not in good shape right and then uh and then he he just took off how old were you then uh three so you had no idea who he was no and then you uh you decided to track him down at what age uh i i called him when i was 16 uh, I got a basketball scholarship letter. Yeah. And then I called him, and he told me that he was living in Seattle and told me that he was a PIMP. And I said, well, I want to come visit you. So I went and visited him uh, when I was 17. Uh-huh. And then, uh, and then when I was 18, I went to go get him for good. Go get him. Go get him, yeah. Now, so you go up there, you're 16, your dad tells you he's a pimp. Yeah. Now, what, is your first reaction like, well, that sounds good? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, I just I just learned what nepotism meant, so yeah. I thought I might be able to get in on some of that. And, uh, <laughs> Maybe he needs an assistant. Yeah. Maybe it can be a Lennox and yeah. Sons yeah. Uh, prostitution. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Just to help me deal with girls. I was so miserable at them. I thought I'd, I must need some new tricks or something. So. <laughs> Maybe my old man could help. Yeah. He seems to have this under control. Yeah. Yeah. So you go up there, and what you know? What was that environment like? I mean, you're 17. 
and uh and and you know you just what, what was that world like was it chaotic was it scary i mean what was he uh strung out or anything it was very very different compared to being with my mom and 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 at the now four sisters and my grandma it was a very strong matriarch and i just hated 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 all the women in my life and i was real nerdy dude and I was a basketball player so girls just shit on me at any given chance and, and you were so, great you were surrounded by women at home yeah and you couldn't get you couldn't get over at, out in the world right so you figure old man would help you out so I go there and mm -hmm. uh, I'd never seen uh, a man have that much control over everybody in the room I mean guys are just sitting there waiting for him to say something and women were just fawning over him and and bringing him whatever he wanted and bringing him cash and I'd never seen that before so he was holding court yeah and uh, was he happy to see you? He was uh, first weird proud that he had had a son and then you know, I was, you know, pretty good athlete and stuff. But then he realized that I had no man skills. I couldn't do anything. Uh, he sent me a, he, there he was a big drug deal going on. He wanted me to, to get out of the house. He asked if I knew how to drive. Yeah. I lied. No, I know how to drive. <laughs> so he gave me a whack of cash. Yeah. And I, I drove and ran into a bus in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Smacked the shit out of a bus. Which is yeah. not, that's not good news for a pimp drug dealer. No, nope, no. Nope. When they're like, Who, where's your dad at? Exactly. And uh -huh. I'm doing the drug deal. So I had to call him and I'm sitting in the back. You had of the drugs place. in the car, you were going to pick up. He was, I, I don't he, know where he was at. No, I mean, but when you, were, when you got in the accident, you just had cash. You didn't have yeah, drugs. No, no, no. Just cash. Yeah. I just had a cash just to, you know, fuck around with. Yeah. And then, uh, so he came up there and, uh, cussed me out in front of the police officers and everybody and told uh -huh. me if you didn't know how to drive why'd you say you know how to drive right uh and i just i was a nuisance for him uh i had a met some girl who gave me a stolen calling card and i was too lazy to go call from the phone pay phone like she said so i called from his house so now the fbi is calling mr pimp drug dealer saying why is this these phone these calls coming from your uh, your house and so i was i was just a nuisance to him so in seattle what what neighborhood was that i was on beacon hill and he was like what was he like running street hookers or was he was nah, it a phone he's, business he's pretty smart man yeah. so he had them put up in the high-end hotels and with all them knockout drops and all that sort of stuff and he uh -huh. had some on the streets and he had you know he had escort service he was running on anchorage alaska so he was in the game <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah. So that's it. So where's he now? He's back in Seattle now. He's my biggest fan. Yeah, he, we are the best of friends. He's my biggest fan. Man. He's back in Seattle. Where'd he go? To jail. That's where people <laughs> go when you do that sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Caught up with him. Caught up with him, man. Yeah. And check this. So listen to this. So at the time when my life was changing, his life was changing, yeah. and the divorce and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I was in a hotel doing some triple one-nighters, and my wife had told me, this is right after the earthquake in Northridge, right? And she's like, you know, you're an asshole, and da-da-da-da-da. And then... This is his Israeli wife? Yeah, yeah. And she, uh, so I, she rings me out on the phone, I'm watching TV, and then I see my old man, almost wanted. He was making a run from from the feds. No! Yeah. Come on! Yeah, dude. He was running from a he helicopter? No, he was, they, you know, they, they put you on, okay, America's most wanted. We're right. looking for this guy right here. So. Oh, so, so they didn't catch him? They caught him eventually, but he was running. Wow. Yeah. So right when his like my life was changing, and then I saw he was on there, I was like, oh, man. We're both going through it. Yeah. So, okay, so when did you start comedy? I started comedy uh, October. First time I ever got on stage, October of uh, 88, open mic, Comedy Underground. I remember that place. Good club. They, they sure. want you uh, back, by the way. They want me back? They want you back. 
I mean, but I love that room. I loved Ron Reed and yeah. uh, and John Fox, and I certainly have a history. So you grew up doing. You came in. You came up doing John Fox gigs. Yeah. Man. So you had to deal with that insanity. I was uh, I was young, and so it was all great, man. It was great to see you guys come in. It's, it was the best comedy community in the country for me to see all the San Francisco guys, L.A. guys, everybody across the country would come and work that club. Everybody loved that club. It yeah. was like one of those. Uh, it was a uh, organic space. You yeah. know, it was in the basement, had mm-hmm. the low ceilings. You had the bar upstairs, yeah. and uh, you always like it was one of those rooms where people were like, "Yeah, it doesn't pay well, but it's fucking great." Mm-hmm. You know, you'd go and then you'd have to do that other gig. Sometimes what was that island gig where you was there one. Uh, you do the comedy underground. Then you, didn't you drive up to do the something parrot or something? Not, it was in a mall. The elephant, elephant Castle in Bellingham. Yeah, the Elephant and Castle in Bellingham. Yeah. That horrible pub in that mall. Yep. And that weird, it wasn't a good stage situation. People were sitting behind you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. The, and then there was another gig I thought I went to. Not in, it wasn't in Bellingham, but I thought I actually had to take a boat to a gig once. Probably I got to over to Bremerton. At the yeah, Hyboe the base. Bremerton. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was yeah. like a, yeah, it was at a weird bar. It was with Tony Kameen. Yeah. and then there was another gig in uh, that was part of this run. There was the one on the island, and, and then you go to Warsaw, Idaho, or not Warsaw, but Moscow, Idaho. Moscow, Idaho. Yeah, man. Whoa, shit. And then you come back, all you'd be looking forward to was doing the goddamn the underground. Yeah. <laughs> you feel like in one week you'd paid all the dues necessary. <laughs> but that run to Moscow, Idaho, that was like six hours or something, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And that, did you do that gig? Of course I did. Dude, I met a fucking racist fuck. Like some dude sat me down after I did that gig and, uh, and uh, was, uh, he, he literally, he had just gotten out of jail, some white guy. And he was going through, he was trying to tell me like, hey, you're really funny. Let me tell you about this area. So he's breaking it down. Mm -hmm. And then uh, somehow or another, he brought up Jews. Like, you know, like he was like, you know, I I fucking hate Jews. And he's like, you're not a Jew, are you? And of course, in that moment, I said, no, hell no. I fucking (laughs) (laughs) Jews. Fuck the Jews. Uh, But but it was uh, very white and very weird. Yeah, yeah. Idaho, scary, right? Like Coeur d'Alene, Moscow, all that stuff was right over there. Moscow tried to be the hip college part of the uh, this state. Yeah, but, right, right. But, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, that, like that worked. Yeah. But uh, all right, so now you're doing the fucking thing. Now, when did you start losing the eyes? Uh, they've always been really, really bad. Uh, but you can still play ball? Yep, still play ball, just bigger contact than a normal person should have to wear. Yeah. And then I detached a couple of retinas and stuff. But then uh, I lost a sight in the left eye in... About ninety seven, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and then the right one just started to deteriorate, but I got them stable now. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get surgery? Did you get any of the? They fix it from the inside. They uh, they could nothing do with the left one except straighten it out. Uh, it'll always be blind. In the right one, I had some cataracts and a corneal scratch on there, and they fixed that. Now, what was that? Just a, a genital or not genital? A, uh, a genetic. Uh, thing or what happened? You just—I'm the only one with bad eyes in the family. Uh, just born really, really uh, with uh, elongated myopic eyes uh-huh. to an exaggerated sense, and then uh, if you you can't correct that, yeah, other than with glasses and right. it doesn't do anything. So the my optic nerves are a little stretched out and retinas still stretched out because of the way my eyes shaped, and yeah. so they just get you know, yeah, beat up. So when your dad was in prison, I mean, what was that? How long was he in for? Uh, three different occasions, four years on one, and then a couple more. Yeah, all together, I think it's been about 11 years. And you did you go up there and no, shoot? No, 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 no. Really? Nah, I don't want to go to prison. I don't even want to visit him. <laughs> so you never went over? <laughs> no. Why, because you're afraid that you might not be able to leave or what? 
Or just some you... stuff I just think you're not supposed to see. <laughs> One of them's your dad in <laughs> yeah, prison. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm dude. I'm delusional. Yeah. I have the, I have pictures in my head that I want to stay the way they are. Right. I love the fact that I have a father and I had a relationship with him, even though he was, you know, not the most morally upright guy. But I didn't want to see him in prison. Yeah, it would have been too heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to change that picture in my head. So now, when you okay, so you start doing comedy in Seattle. You're watching the guys come through uh, down there in the underground. I don't, I don't know if I remember meeting you. Did I ever meet you back when you were starting out? Nah, I was a quiet guy. I would just stare back and stare at everybody. Oh would, yeah, in the I back would, of the room yeah, there. I would never come up and introduce anybody. I didn't think I had anything to say to anybody, so I just watch and watch and learn and learn. Yes, because I went up there quite a few times. I remember. Yeah. And then, uh, all right. So when did you start actually gigging? Did you do the festival up there? Did the competition? And you, did you place all right? Uh, the first year took it uh, brutally hard. Uh, <laughs> And then the next year, That's I thought funny. I was ready to win. Yeah. Uh, and then made the semi. So I yeah. made the semi the second time I did it. Those competitions are the fucking worst, man. And and then, you like, you know, with John running them, I never knew what the fuck was going on. I did the San Francisco one twice, and just watching those numbers and seeing them post that shit is the same thing with that one where they'd have those judges, and you didn't know who the fuck they were, and they'd post those stupid numbers on the wall, and you'd be like, how the fuck did that happen? What does that number mean? <laughs> just a bunch of comics, and you're watching guys, like, starting to lose their mind. Oh, the snap sets were the best, aren't they? Oh, dude, I saw Shang. I saw Shang fucking lose it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shang was seriously shangry <laughs> at the San Francisco comedy competition. He just fucking come unraveled, and then some dudes would just crack under the pressure, oh, you know, because it was like it was like I don't know what the Seattle one was, but I think the the San Francisco one was like four fucking weeks, man. Yeah. It was like a month of bullshit. Seattle's the same way. I saw a mime lose it. He was just getting crushed because everybody that does it thinks I'm going to win. Nobody right. goes in thinking they're not going to win. Right. So mime came in, just got waxed for six nights in a row. And the seventh night at the Elephant and Castle, yeah. there was a beach chair, a lifeguard chair on the gig. And so he climbed on top of the beach chair yeah. with the microphone and started talking. We're like, holy fuck, the mime's talking. <laughs> So he goes in his long dissertation about how mime is a true art form and oh comedy. My God. And of course, he goes long. Yeah. So he did like 30. And everybody's like, wow. And then he climbs off the mic. He climbs off the, the beach chair and leaves the mic on the fucking chair. <laughs> Way up there. <laughs> yeah. The fuck was there a beach chair doing there, dude? It's, it was Elephant Castle. It's a stupid gig. That was the worst thing about the festival is that they like Fox had all those relationships with all these rooms. Some yeah. of them were better than others, and you'd be like, you know, the, you know, so much depended on it because there was money to be won, and there was also gigs to be won. And then you'd have to perform in these fucking horrible things. Like what? what like I'm trying to remember. It started out with like 40 comics, right? Yeah. The first week was 40, and then the second week it was 20, yeah. and then the third week it was 10, yeah. and then the last week it was five. Right. God damn it. It was hard. God, remember when people used to snap? I wish I would have seen that mime snap. I used to love that oh, shit. Oh, we would all wait for it to happen because we knew it was going to happen. <laughs> Someone was going to go. Yeah. But you know what? Back then, though, man, I, I think it was, uh, even though it was weird and sometimes suspect, it was the only way you could kind of move up or prove yourself. What to lose it? To no to to do well in those competitions, right? Because that was before. Right, you had to get on the map a little bit. You, you yeah, had to get on the map a little and, bit and get the fuck out. Yeah, you know, like with the yeah with San Francisco. I mean, I the first year I I did I came in like thirteenth or something. Then I did another year and I came in second. I was really good at coming in second. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm really good at coming in second. I came man. in second in the in the Boston, but then it just comes down to like weird. The weird thing was is that I I know on that last set that. 
that Al Zaraki had me. There was no, yeah, there, yeah. It was just, it was his night. There's, that's a horrible feeling when you're like, you do your set and you're like, ah, fuck, wasn't my night, man. <laughs> wasn't my night. Yeah. Oh, Ray James. You know Ray James? I remember him. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's, you know, he's a writer now, but it was uh, at the San Francisco Comedy Competition. He knew he was finished. And uh, it was outdoors at a winery. There's like 2,000 people in an outdoor theater. Mm -hmm. And Ray just comes up. He's like, well, I don't know. I'm going to try some new stuff. And he pulls out a piece of paper. <laughs> and he just does this fucking open mic set. And he goes like five or six minutes long. It was beautiful. We were upset about it, but it was it's beautiful. It was still funny. Yeah, Hedberg was on that show when he was yeah. just Mitch. Right. He wasn't Mitch Hedberg, just, just Mitch. Mitch. Yeah. Was he up in Seattle for yeah, a while? Yeah, he sure was. Yeah. He lived up there? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I think I just talked to Lynn about that. Were you guys buddies? Yeah, you know what? He actually came to the apartment uh, and, and asked uh, some advice because uh, the agents back then were telling him that he should cut his hair so he could uh -huh. be more corporate viable. And I was like, don't cut your fucking hair, dude. <laughs> I can't imagine hair. Mitch yeah. going like, hey, uh, yeah. <laughs> rock, rocking his head <laughs> back and forth. rolled up sleeves on know. his suit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it's the right thing to do. Yeah. But, uh, all right, so... When did you start actually working? When did you decide to, to move down to L.A.? How old were you? Uh, I thought I was ready pretty quick, pretty quickly. Like I, what, um, two years in? Yeah, two years in. <laughs> two years, and I was ready. I got uh, I got this, man. Yeah, I had it. Yeah. Uh, I learned how to do a callback, uh -huh. and I had to get a laugh within the first 30 seconds. That's all you need is a callback, and can you get a laugh per minute formula down? But the callback is like the greatest trick in the world. Uh, you know, audiences think you're a wizard I if you just like, oh, my God, that's from the joke from before. Oh, he, they uh, love that. They were incredible, and I would do them fast, too. Yeah. I mean, I'd get the fastest callbacks ever. <laughs> one joke and call it back right away right away <laughs> it's weave them in and out yeah. they really are you know always impressed with that yeah i don't really do it enough i don't really plan to do it but it happens organically sometimes That's but but yeah they think that it's like oh my god he's uh, i don't know why it's so impressive it's fun <laughs> when you know it's gonna work you know what i mean yeah so all right two years in you moved to two LA. years i had to uh la i got an evening at the improv right away so that of course made me you know ready so you go down to santa monica improv mm -hmm. do your big tv spot yeah bud's there bud's there room full of dummies yeah pat Who, paulson hosted pat paulson pat paulson did he yeah. get your name right and shit oh yeah so how'd that go for you uh it went uh great i think the set i thought did well but uh, man i was such a jacked up dude in the head back then i was expecting you know somebody to come and get me as soon as i got off stage and sure. whisk me off that's right here's yeah. your mansion this yeah. is the movie you'll be starring that's, in you know that's, and uh here's your choice of women that's what i thought <laughs> that's what i was ready for and you got handed your ass didn't you did i ever yeah yeah that first run into la man it's uh well, well what what ended up happening uh it was all to my own doings yeah uh, so i i just thought it was supposed to you know my time i was destined for this thing and then uh and I had, man, I'm a. How much time did you have? Like a half hour? You yeah, 20? About a half hour. You couldn't headline yet? No. <laughs> Thought I could, but I could stay up there as long as you needed me to. <laughs> so That's what you learned doing those road gigs, man. Yes, those one nighters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Where are you yeah. from, man? Yeah. <laughs> Trying to sneak in a street joke, pretend like you yeah. just wrote it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was me. Yeah. I got into big trouble, man. I, uh,. I wanted it so bad. This is all part of my, my legacy in Seattle. It's an ugly one, but uh, I wanted it bad, dude. I just wanted to make it. And so I read all those self-help books and visualized it and stuff. And so this is when uh, Greenstein was the biggest agent in the world. And uh, so I wrote him a letter after I, nothing happened in L.A. 
and said, from this moment on, I'm going to consider you my agent, and I'm going to act accordingly. So I sent it and uh, acted on the faith and all that sort of nonsense. Did he write you back? Of course not. Why you, would he? So you just decided with yeah. your positive thinking That's right. that you're going to put this guy in the spot. What was his first name? I remember that guy. Rick, was he a Gersh? Or? Rick Greenstein was at William Morris at the time. So, okay, so he, yeah, nothing, huh? Fired a letter, nothing. And so, but I didn't care because I thought this is all part of the manifestation process. So you were delusional. I told you that about 15 minutes no, ago. No, I know that, but yeah. I didn't realize the degree of it. So you, you, so. Oh, man. So you were still in Seattle when you wrote that letter? This was before you did no, Evening at the no, Improv? No, this is after you did Evening at the Improv. And oh, I you wrote went it. Back. I, no, this is literally after the taping. I okay. hung around in LA waiting for somebody to come find me where I was and get me. And so I wrote the letter while I was in L.A. But you wouldn't move down here yet? Not not move down here yet. Yeah, I right. Came from there. So then okay. I sent the letter off, yeah. and then I went back to Seattle, and I thought it was just going to be okay until somebody asked me what happened, and I just said I, I got Rick Greenstein as an agent, and they were like, what? So then it went from visualization to a lie. Yeah. And then... Uh, and then but you believed it? I believed that it was going to happen. But did you, like, when you were lying, did you know you were lying? Just, was it a waiting game? You're you, like, you know, I, I, my plan was eventually he's going to write me back or eventually he would just hear of me and then everything will be right in the long run. So it would all fall into place. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so yeah. what happened? So you go out and you start lying in Seattle. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. How, what happened? How, uh, how, how'd that uh, fuck you? Uh, comic commits fraud appeared in the, in the newspapers. Uh, but what? But just by just saying it? No, no, because then everybody got excited because I was a young kid that all of a sudden was on even at the Improv and had a hot agency of William Morris and stuff. And so then, then suddenly I was ready to headline. Yeah. Uh, and so I just oh, yeah, all right. So you got all this momentum, like momentum. The, the local bookers are like, he's oh, yeah. he's, he's, the, he's, he's the hot kid now. Yeah, because yeah. Greenstein's on board and everything, mm -hmm. so they're starting mm -hmm. to book you. Yeah. And then uh, who 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 broke that story, Daryl? I broke. Uh, well, then uh, I uh, got into a, too much heat of, uh, I can't keep coming up with this horse shit. As I, so somehow I figured Arsenio Hall would bail me out if I wrote him a letter. Uh -huh. So I wrote him a letter, and he did not respond. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what was that letter? Uh, Dear Arsenio, I am in serious trouble. I told everybody. <laughs> Rick <laughs> Greenstein's my agent. I know your father's a preacher, and I'm standing on this this biblical verse, Mark eleven twenty three. It's about faith. And here's a picture of me playing basketball and an autograph. Who just been your Charles Barkley? Please put me on your show soon. And this is a handwritten letter. Hand fucking yeah. put it in a Manila envelope. The picture? No, what? I wasn't a rookie. I had stationery, dude. Come on. <laughs> All right, all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you sent that off. This was so, your Hail Mary pass. This is it, man. This yeah. is it. So nothing happened. Mm -hmm. So I told everybody, uh, yeah, I got to go do Arsenio on March 15th. Oh, and, so you went ahead and... Oh, yeah. yeah, you, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was only a matter of time before you got back. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you were fucking nuts, it's dude. all in. Yes. Bananas crazy. Yeah. So I come down here on some miles, and I just sit in an apartment uh and uh with a friend of mine and uh and then a phone rings and uh it's uh, a lady named roberta penn never yeah. forget her from seattle times right she, she says did you say you're gonna be in arsenio yeah you were william morris i was like yeah no comment yeah so then that story came out and then i was i was persona non grata in seattle felt so ashamed of a bear to myself oh my god so you just like you could no longer go home no now why why do you think that uh that woman, I mean, what drove her to that story? I mean, 
Why? Why'd she? You know, I always wonder about that. Somebody must have tipped her off to some shit. Yeah, I know who it was. Oh, you do? Yeah, it was a comic friend. A friend. Yeah. Do you still friends with that guy? We we reconciled. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, you kind of had it coming. Wait, wait. In the sense that, uh, how did you take that assault? Because on some level, was he doing it out of jealousy or or out of friendship? I mean, was he concerned for your sanity and said, "Let's." help this guy out and take him down or was he like he's fucking lying fuck that big guy uh i don't know you asked me to speculate on his thought process well, he speculated about the future of your fucking career well, in show yeah, business. that was mine though <laughs> 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 i'll tell you what he told me afterwards he yeah. said he said after he said we were just young and we both we made a mistake you made that mistake uh, yeah. by doing that and he goes i made the mistake by doing what i did so that's what he and told you guys me. are cool yeah all right, so now you can't go back to Seattle. Mm-hmm. What, you're sleeping on some friend's couch in Los Angeles? Nope. I uh, decided this was before uh, foreclosures and whatnot happened, so I just stayed in this apartment until I had a gig in Phoenix at the Last Laugh. Remember that shit club? Sure. You owned a house in Seattle? No, I just pretended like I was. You're going to have to kick me out like I owned it. That's how I was. I oh. was just renting, and oh. so I was just not going to leave. So you couldn't do stand-up. Mm-hmm. You didn't have no friends around. Nope. So you just sat there with your delusional self. That's right. But you've been. But at that time, once the, once the 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 lie got shattered, did did that humble you to the point where you, did you actually take put things into perspective then, or you just saw it as a as a road a little road bump there, like did the delusion continue or were you fucking done? Um, no, I had to find somebody to marry me first. <laughs> So that was the next plan? Yeah, that was the next plan. So you get kicked out of the apartment. Yeah, and meet a girl in Phoenix. Uh, at the last laugh. At the last laugh. You're headlining. No, I was middling. Oh, you're middling. Yeah. For who? Derek Cameron. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, no, I remember that guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you're middling. And what happens? Uh, he and I go out. I'm just too wrecked to go out at all, but he makes me. So we go to this nightclub, Bobby McGee's, mm-hmm. and then I see this girl walk by. She was just beautiful. I yeah. didn't know what ethnic ethnic mix she was, but she was. Whew. Yeah. So uh, I pretended like I was shy. Yeah. And, uh, put some of my old man's moves on her and got her. What is that? What would that be? Uh, Give me some pimp moves. Maybe I could use them sometime. You can't. No, no, it's an inherent thing. You gotta have it, or you don't. I can't give you. You any learned it. What do you mean it's an inherent thing? Inherent here? thing. It's, it's genetics. I learned how to do this from him. But if I tell you to tell you to do stuff that he told me to do, you would. Dude, I got the iceberg swim book. I can go look this shit up. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you go right ahead. <laughs> Did you ever think that maybe you could be a pimp? I know I could. I know I could, but you choose not to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know who tried to be a pimp? Keith Robinson. He's got the funniest story about that. Keith Robinson tried to be a pimp? Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, you got to talk to him about that. I will. <laughs> I will when I see He thought it. he was... It's very funny. Huh. They, they got the best of him. He just did it. He couldn't, he couldn't manage it. He ended up being a... The, the hooker's bitch is what he ended up there. He, he didn't quite have the, the upper hand in yeah. the situation, is what, what I recall. But uh, all right, so you get this girl. So get the girl, and uh, and at the time she was, uh, I knew she when I found out she was a single mom, then that really helped me get where I wanted to go with her. Uh, this was it, huh? This yeah. was Plan B. This was Plan B. Was that if I had somebody that was legally bound to help me get out of my horse shit, I'd be okay. So I I know that one. Yeah, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I married somebody. That'll make me normal. Yeah, that get me on the level. Mm-hmm. So I just so she how old how old was the kid? The kid was five. All right. And the, the old man was nowhere around? Or? No, he was gone. Okay, so you meet her. Yeah. How long did it take you to- dis- Four months. 
to get in there? Four months. We were in four months from meeting. Four months after we met, we were married. Did you move to Phoenix? I moved to Phoenix. Uh-huh. And then we moved to L.A., uh-huh. Sherman Oaks. And then four months after the marriage, it was done. So eight months. Yeah. So you met her? Mm-hmm. Four months later, you married her? Yep. Four months later? Done. Uh-huh. Yep. So I guess you're not in touch with that kid anymore. <laughs> <laughs> she, you know what? Actually, I reconciled with her and the little girl, too. Yeah? So we're good. Yeah, I made peace with all that stuff. All right. Well, what, what, let's let's figure out just how big of an amends that had to be. Okay. So- how that shit hit the fan? Um, I told her uh, 98% of the truth, uh-huh. um, but she's very fancy and very, very, very good looking. But she was time. Israeli? She was, her mom, her, her parents were Israeli Jews. Jewish girl. Yeah, yeah. So you got an Israeli yeah. Jew. Yeah. That is the hardest, most uh, aggressive type of Jew. Uh-huh. But not in a, in a mental sense, but in a physically daunting. Tough, strong. You know, could kick your ass probably. She was she threw some good rights at me. She hit did me a couple, she? Couple, hit me a couple good times. Oh, you did that whole thing. Oh yeah. So when did it start to go bad? So you get married. Would you rent a house? No, we had an apartment over there in Sherman Oaks. Yeah, yeah. And so we got an apartment, and then uh, uh, the only thing I didn't tell her was I told her all the the shit I did in Seattle mm-hmm. and my upbringing stuff, but I did tell her that uh, I had Rick Greenstein was an agent. And you, so you kept that one going. Had to keep that one going. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> because I knew if I was in L.A., I would eventually run into him, and uh-huh. then he'd see me work with my 27 minutes, and then that would be it. So you but still held on to this Rick Greenstein thing? little bit. Uh-huh. Yep, held on a little too have long. You, have you talked to Rick about this? Yeah, I did, actually. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> Where, in Montreal or something? You know exactly it was at Montreal. Uh-huh. Yeah. And how'd that conversation go? I heard Carlos Mencia go, hey, Greenstein. And I go, oh, are you Greenstein? He goes, yeah. I go, I got a story for you. <laughs> And he goes. He had uh, no idea who you were. No idea. Yeah. He goes. Does it involve me? I go. Of course it does. I wouldn't say it if it didn't. He goes. All right. He goes. I'll find you later. So he meets me at the 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 bar where everybody congregates at. Mm-hmm. So he goes. Oh, let's hear the story. So I told him I wrote this letter, and then I saw his face kind of blanch in his mouth. He goes. I remember that letter. I go, he did. Yeah. He said, I remember that letter. I go, yeah, you didn't do anything about it. He goes, oh. So I told him, you know, just turn the point of disaster, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, uh, well, how'd it go now? I go, I'm here now, so I'm doing good. He's huge. Mm-hmm. He's a huge booking agent. He's a nice guy. I've known him for a million years. Come mm-hmm. from uh, Great Neck. Like, his family's from Great Neck. I met with him when I was uh, actually looking for, for agents. I think he does He does Chappelle. He does a lot of people. Big guys. Yeah, but he's it. been around for a long time. I yeah. remember him when he was a kid. It's weird when you're in this business and you keep seeing the dudes around. Yeah. And uh, and then finally it's like, oh, fuck yeah. Of course, you know. Wow. All right. So so he remembered the letter. Yeah. And you told him the whole fucking thing? Told him the whole thing. Did he laugh? He, he It wasn't a real laugh. It oh. was a, it was a laugh with the eyes wide open, like keep your eyes on that guy laugh. Oh and, really? Yeah. How recently was this? This was the first time in Montreal, so that was ninety eight, man. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. All right, so okay, let's go back to the story. So you kept the Rick Greenstein lie alive for yeah. your new bride my new and bride. her daughter because right. you want to make sure that she thinks you're going to bring some shit in. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And and then what? What? When does the first turn of the screw? When does it start to go bad for Daryl Lennox in it this situation? Goes, uh, it wasn't bad. It just turned out that way. But one day her brother was in town visiting from, from Israel, from New Mexico. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. She was telling, her brother was trying to do some acting, and so Jill was telling how hard it is, and, you know, Daryl has one of the big agents, and, I mean, things are just, you know, are just really slow. <laughs> yeah. And so then I could see her face change, and she goes, can I talk to you in a bedroom, place? 
so we go into her room. She goes, she goes, you don't have an agent, do you? I was like, no. No. Yeah. So she figured it out. Yeah. So I thought I, I thought that was the last hurdle that I would be okay because once all the shit was out, I could really yeah relax. Get and, honest and, and put it on the table and, there. Yeah, and do it. Uh huh. Too much damage for. Uh huh. Too much damage. But what? So where's the drama? When does the drama start? Um, she just said, "I don't respect you. I don't. I don't. You know, I don't love you. You know, you're just a liar and and stuff." So I tried to fight for her for a while, and then um, we went. Uh, way at the Christmas for New Year's Eve Christmas and New Year's Eve and I was back in Phoenix and then the earthquake hit and the earthquake hit uh, I was doing my own amends anyway and so I made a phone call to an ex-girlfriend to apologize to her and all the other ones and what's I'm this ma- got to do with the earthquake well in a second the earthquake hit and so she went through the old phone the phone bill and saw that I'd made a phone call to this ex-girlfriend and she assumed that I was calling this girl to try to hook something up. Mm-hmm. And so she said, why'd you call that girl? I said, I was apologizing. She goes, I don't believe you. You're a fucking liar. You don't have a place to come home to. And that was it. And this was it. So you were kicked out of your Sherman Oaks apartment. Mm-hmm. Kicked out of Sherman Oaks apartment from the road. And then I came back to tell my second evening at the improv. And uh, she said, come over. I was across staying at her friend's place across the street. And her she said, friend's house? My friend. Okay. And she said, <laughs> come over and figure out this phone bill. Because you're going to pay it. So I go over there, and she's telling me, I'm in love with somebody else now. And, and I said, good. And then uh, I wouldn't react to her. And so she threw some scissors at my head and then started punching me. And I was like, well, I'm just leaving. She goes, well, I'm going to kill you tonight. And so she told everybody that she was going to kill me. And did uh, so that didn't happen? No, it didn't happen. You left, and she was going to come kill you? She was going to have somebody kill me out of the evening at the improv. Really? Yeah. So she, she she said she's got friends. You're gonna die tonight. They're gonna I'm gonna kill you at the end of the improv. So, so that was that must have been a hell of a set. There's a lot in the balance here. What's gonna be that your last set? One of the best ones I've done. So of course, you know, Bud and all those guys over there like, <laughs> yeah. Oh Daryl, this is a big game. <laughs> this is it for you tonight, huh? So they're making jokes about it. But uh, you know, I just did the set. So you were in with Bud by then? I mean like everything was cool? No. I no. mean I'd only met him two times. But you told them you were going to be assassinated? No, she called the damn club and told everybody oh, she was going to come. They, oh, shit. Yeah. So they came up to you before and said, we yeah. got a phone call? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, my manager at the time was Jack Mondras. Remember that fucker? Jack Mondras. Jack I mean, Mondras. Bill Hicks's manager. Yeah, yeah. I remember that guy. Jack Mondras was my manager. Uh-huh. So he dumped me that night before the show. <laughs> when he heard that shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is too much for me. I can't deal with this. What happened to him? I don't know. All right, so now we're talking, Daryl. I mean, you know, it, now it seems like this this wall, this bottom you hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what. What are we looking at? Nineteen ninety two. Nineteen ninety three. Nineteen ninety three. Yeah. You're you you were thrown out of Seattle, and then uh, ran out of Seattle in ninety two. Married to Jill in ninety three. And then, uh, and then you, yeah, Jack Madras fired you. Yep. This is so that was all January of '94. And, and Bud, Bud did, probably was not that comfortable with the situation, but he probably thought it was funny. Yeah, they all did. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then uh, so so what happens then? Because I met <clears> you in fucking like what the fuck have you been doing? That's how I got to Canada. I had no place to go, so that's where I went. And then I started all over. And what I did was, it was very therapeutic. So it's a great piece of advice that Jill gave me. Uh, and I took it. She said, you know, you need to grow up. Everything you do is a lie, and you're half a man, and you need to get through the bottom of your shit. So I did. So I called everybody I'd hurt and hadn't been hurt by and apologized. And then uh, called my mom. 
did every I just I went through everybody just crying in a phone booth in Seattle sobbing crying 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 after I left LA I went to Seattle with a bag of quarters or a stolen credit just a, a legitimate credit card <laughs> okay, yeah, a legitimate credit card so that was it and then uh, and then I called one club and they said you know come on up uh, to Vancouver you got one week to work here so I did and the guy let me stay there and that was it did you get citizenship? Nope. You just you just, just moved just, in. I just moved and stayed there in the basement of this guy's club. What, which club was that? It was the Comedy Cave in Surrey, BC. I doubt you did it. No, I, I've only been up oh. there for the festival. And Canada's relatively new to me you know, outside mm-hmm. of Montreal. I've, I've done a lot of work up there since. And that's how you became sort of a Canadian comic. I got to start every single day, Mark. I was uh, new. No, I didn't have to lie to anybody or hustle anybody. I just started my whole life over, and I'd apologize, and everybody was going to be mad at me, but that was it. What were the hardest apologies for you? Uh, um, there's this kid whose name I'm not going to say, but uh, I took some money from him that I shouldn't have uh, with no full intention of giving it back. Uh, that was really hard. Cause Comedian? Was yeah. Not anymore. Yeah. Uh, that was really hard. Did you give him his money back? He wouldn't take it. Mm. He wouldn't take it. Uh, hmm. Yeah, so that was probably the hardest one. Yeah, yeah. Your relationship with your mother was that strained, or was it? You know, you, she didn't know what was going on, right? She understood it. Yeah, uh, she understood. She said, "You know, I understand what you're trying to do, but don't be a martyr. You made mistakes." Yeah, uh, and she said, "I did the best I could." Yeah, you know what I mean. What do you want me to do? I did the best I could. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. That's pretty practical advice. Now mm-hmm. get on with it, basically. Yeah, yeah that was it. Yeah. <laughs> How many sisters do you have? Four. No brothers. No brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Are you in touch with them all? You, yeah, we're all very close. Yeah? Yeah. Well, that's good. Are they still in Vegas? Uh, one's in uh, North Carolina. The rest are in Vegas. I'm going to North Carolina in a couple of weeks. Uh, no, good nights. Yeah. You good. down there? You work down there? I've been trying to get in that club for years. I think with the special, hopefully it'll help me. In the special, when did, when did you tape it? Mm, October 2nd, 2010. Yeah? You yeah. happy with it? I'm very happy with it, man. Yeah? It's what's yeah. on Showtime? Stars. Stars. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, That's good. that dude over there, Chris Albrecht's over there right. from HBO. Yeah. They don't, have they been doing a lot of specials? You're yeah. one of the only ones? Or? Only one. Really? Yeah. That's exciting, That's man. That's very cool. So, all right. So, you go to Canada. Now, I have to assume that, you know, uh, uh, a black man in Canada mm-hmm. doing stand-up, yeah. they're like, great, we have one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get this guy working. <laughs> that was on most of the promos they had. Oh, <laughs> we finally got one, Here Canada. Got one. <laughs> <laughs> what? It must, it must have been a little truth to that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. did you do what you do? The Breslin shit and yeah, I mean, it took a while to get into Breslin stuff, but I did uh, just crazy, weird, horrible, independent stuff in like Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan, and northern everything, northern. Everything northern. Well, what was the experience? Are you're you're an you know like a, an American mm-hmm. dude. Yep. You're a black dude. Yep. And you're going into the whitest part of the world in a way. And none of the white tricks work. 
No? No. Which means what? What are the whites? So, you know, as a brother, they try to give you some some sympathy, courtesy, you know, because you're black, laugh stuff. You can say anything as a black comic American. You can get them to laugh about just about anything with a little hint of racial. Right. A little, like, little juice. (laughs) Right. Yeah. White people, this. Yeah, yeah. Anything. And they laugh. But that's not your bag. That's not my bag. Yeah. Uh, They just just don't do that in in Canada. It's a different culture. Right. So, I had to learn how to talk about what was in the moment and, and not have any race base behind it because there's not that history of guilt right like you, you know the the I, I imagine the white audience is by and large the reason why they get relief from that is they're carrying this weird burden of their own repressed maybe not so repressed racism so they gotta fucking you know they want that alleviated right they want to be spoken to right they want to be tapped on the wrist a bit. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess. But in Canada, there's none of that there baggage. There's none of that, so it wouldn't. It didn't. None of the jokes would make any sense, and so my Dan Quayle jokes didn't. Nothing flew. So <laughs> I just turn all over, man. <laughs> going to the deep south and they eat everything in the south yeah one tastes like chicken they yeah. would just stare at me up there with nothing, that stuff. nothing nothing got yeah. no no point of reference nothing so that's weird so you had to sort of define your sensibility without the cultural baggage exactly. of uh, of that american black thing yeah worked out though huh yeah i learned how to do it the right way i think yeah and how long did you like knock around up there um when I, did you come back here dude i got kicked out in 2005 oh because of uh paperwork stuff yeah they're they're a little tough about that what you you had over overstayed your welcome they changed the paperwork laws so you didn't you didn't have to have work permits uh, that changed in about 2003, but nobody knew how to do that. Right. So uh, they told me I was working there illegally and uh, kicked me out. And where'd you go? Um, here to L.A. for uh, a little while, and then I moved to New York. So you came back here just to give it another shot? or Yeah. <laughs> what happened that time? Uh, I was confident in my skills then. You know, I was confident in my skills, and so... Um, I'd done the Montreal Festival, so you know, Bud started to give me some spots and uh, uh, down at uh, on uh, Melrose. Melrose, yeah, yeah. And then you just it wasn't enough. I met my I met my girl, man, and so she came out here. And I then, met her, right? Yeah, you yeah, met she's nice, yeah, yeah. And so I asked her where would she be more comfortable living, New York or L.A. And she said New York is closer to her family, her friends there. I go, all right, let's go to New York. Now you married? Yeah, four years now. You got kids? No kids. Going to do that? I don't think so. Really? Mm-hmm. She ain't busting your balls about it. No, she's just uh, just as uh, ambitious in her career thing as I am. She's a singer songwriter. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, the kid things will, huh? It's yeah. A little tricky. That's worrisome for you, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I've been married twice. I'm almost fifty. Yeah. And now I'm with a girl that wants him, and it's you know I'm on the I'm on the hot seat, buddy. <laughs> a lot of things going on. You know, she don't want me to be too old. Yeah. If we're gonna do that, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a little problematic right now. So when in New York, so you what you're basically a touring headliner, mm-hmm. and in New York you work. Uh, which clubs you primarily doing there? Um, when I do decide to go out, uh, I always Strip. go Ham, Hannibal's Joint, and then stand up's always been pretty good. Hannibal's out in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, you guys, buddy. Yeah, he's a good cat. He's a good dude. He seems to be blowing up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he take you with you? Why doesn't he take you with him? Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? Why is he taking me with me? What I wouldn't mean? go anywhere. I want to do it myself. Oh, okay. All right. I don't know. Sometimes it's a good gig. You understand that, yeah, dude? I do. I, I I would do the exact same thing you do. I know. Listen, 
I've been listening and following you forever, dude. <laughs> I'm for, a fucking headliner. Forever. I, I'm not going to go open for some punk. Do you David. understand what you did with this? Is that you gave all the guys who <clears throat> wanted to do it in the quote-unquote the right way uh, a viable option. You what? A field of dreams dude for us. <laughs> really? Yeah, I'm, I'm not kidding, man. There's a bunch of guys that we all thought this is how you're supposed to do it. You know, you work the craft and you work on your game. You do all these sorts of things. And then after a while, they change the rules. Yeah. And and you don't know what to do. You're just walking around with skills and talent and you don't know what to do. And they're offering you $1,500 for yeah. a week. Yeah. And you don't. Yeah. You <laughs> so when you did this, man, the everybody. Podcast. Yeah. yeah. When, when you made the podcast happen, then we all thought, okay. All right, now there actually is a, an out clause of this thing. So <laughs> I fucking hope I helped. That's yeah, very nice to true. hear. Well, you know, it, it's like it, it was weird because the intentions of it. You, you know, I didn't have any clarity around why I was doing it, other than like you know, I wasn't I wasn't just going to fade away. Right. And then you know, when I started to realize that there were a lot of guys like you know, like me and you, and, and a lot of unsung heroes out there, and when, and when I started talking to them. Uh, it, it became like it almost became a way for comics to catch up with each other yeah like you know they'll listen to this show and like yeah I hadn't seen him in like 20 years <laughs> and right. hey I guess he's doing alright I heard him on your show like we don't get to see each other or talk to each other but you know when I talk to people and people listen to it it feels like we're all talking you yeah. know and it's just that that kind of communication I had no idea it would do anything for my stand up I just I just needed to keep talking <laughs> <laughs> so so the, in working towards a special, I mean, you're talking like you know, good twenty years of shit. Yeah, and you know, and what you know, what what do you what do you primarily? Uh, well, you don't have to do any bits, but how did the whole thing e evolve for you? Your comedy style. I mean, if you're going from Dan Quayle jokes to doing Canadian material, you know, what's the focus of your shit? Uh, the the surgeries. I had these surgeries, and there was one particular moment in the surgery where the uh, the ophthalmologist. Had to use a, a needle and thread to sew an implant in my eye. Oh God! And um, it was a lot of pressure leading up to it, and uh, I'd convinced myself that uh, you know I only have one eye, and it was really going bad, and I was very frustrated with the way the business was turning, and I just didn't feel like I had enough strength. Uh, and my stepdad had passed away too, and it looked like a pretty goddamn good way. He didn't look. He didn't look stressed or frustrated or any of that stuff anymore. And I thought, that doesn't look as bad as everybody says it does. What, the dying? The dying, yeah. Yeah. Just didn't. Yeah. And so I convinced myself that the surgery, which yeah. was risky, didn't work out. Then I would check out. Yeah. So I decided to go to Vancouver, the place I was most happiest at, and do the surgery. And if it didn't work out, then I was going to be fine with it. You were just uh, going to yeah. end it. Yeah. Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah. That's where I was when I started the podcast. Okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> it's because that's the fucked up thing about what we do is that, especially if you're proud, yeah, in uh, is that you know you get to a certain point where, and you took some serious hits. You know, you mm -hmm. you'd be exiled from a community because mm -hmm. of your bullshit, yeah. and you know, and, and you, you made a lot of you know detours and, and bad choices, and you make up for all that. But still, you know, you got twenty years, twenty five years in this thing. And you start to think, well, what the fuck am I going to do? And then you start to picture those options, and you're right. like, I ain't fucking doing that. Right. How do I go to a job? What are you going to be the guy that's like, yeah, I was on Evening at the Improv. Right. How do you live with that? It's a personal shame. I mean, most other human beings, you know, if they got to change a career, all right, mm -hmm. they'll fucking you know, bite the bullet. But there's something about not having kids, not having baggage, being your own guy, that when you're up against that wall, all you're dealing with is you and your fucking pride. 
that that's that's the equation it's you versus your pride and then you have that moment where you're like you know oh, i feel so good just to think i can just check out but i wonder you know and i wondered this about myself too i wondered about you I mean, would you ever really do that? I mean, I don't know that, like, you know, it's a very dramatic, and, and if your brain works that way, it works that way, and you find some relief in that, that, you know, like, I could just, you know, kill myself. You know, it's 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 a it's a relieving thought, you know what I mean? But I don't know if it came right down to it. I mean, fortunately, I, you know, things turned around for us, but I mean, do you really, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a good thing to say, but do you really think you would have done it? Um, You know what? Uh, I, obviously I look back at it now and say no I wouldn't have but at the time it was so scary and then I was the frustration levels were so high and the thing that I had always thought could get me through was my belief in myself and my skills but when those weren't answering the bell Right, right, right. It's like you know, I'm ready. Where you know, put you know, put me in the game, coach. What do you? Well, I mean, what do you? I don't know what else there is to do yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Right. I just don't know what else to do now. Yeah, yeah. And, and playing balls out. And and so now, if you decide to take away this one extra eye, and now I'm totally blind, and I have skills that nobody seems to think are are, are worth anything, and I'm never going to see this person that I'm in love with again, and. You know, I got to depend on every single fucking person in my life to get me around. I just don't think I could live like that. So I didn't think that I could. So if if, if the enormity that I was feeling at that time, if I had that light had went out when he was working on my eye and he told me this is never going to happen again, I really don't think I could have did it, man. I just yeah. don't. Yeah. I, I've overcome too much. I don't think I didn't think I was strong enough to do that. To To be blind and unemployable yeah i get it I, I definitely was not there but uh i i can understand it and so and so what turned it around you you didn't lose your eye nope the and, guy working that hard i mean it's supposed to be a, t a 10 minute procedure but yeah he had to just not use uh the laser beam use the laser the needle and thread and, and he was grunting he was working so hard and he told me that this is just gonna hurt and i'm sorry and it became a catchphrase for me unintentionally but what uh, this is just gonna hurt and i'm sorry that's what he said this is just gonna hurt and i'm sorry i mean it was it was hurting too he wasn't lying to me <laughs> so, so you were you were not under full anesthetic or? well he asked if i wanted to be unconscious and i said no because i just wanted to see i didn't want to wake up and never see anything for the rest of my life so uh -huh. you want to, if you were going to lose it you wanted to see to the very I end i want to see that light go out so oh my god uh, so so you yeah, he had your eye open. Open, and he just stitched one, pearl two, and I'm staring up in that light and listening to him grunt. And he took a break, and then I came back and got back in there, and then he was done. And then uh, I sat up, and uh, I looked down, and I could see my, my fucking shoelaces. And I'd never seen anything that clear in my life, and it just blew me away. And then I realized that I hadn't done anything. I hadn't done anything that would even warrant killing myself. I mean, I've, I'm not even in the game yet. And so I said, I, have I worked as hard on my life and my career the way that guy just did on my eye? And I said, no. So then that was it. And I went back and uh, changed, let go of Lou, uh, manager, and I just I stopped chasing Letterman. I'm like, I'm going to do this by myself. I'm going to work on this thing as hard as I can by myself. And then everything changed. I got different management, and, and I wanted to tell that story on stage. And uh, we put everything together and, and, and got the funding for the thing from some friends. And uh, that was it. Blind ambition. Wow. Who would have known that shoelaces 
would he yeah. <laughs> that, that would, would have that kind of impact yeah. in that moment. Yeah. So this is actually, the, the show is a themed show. It's a one-hour piece yeah. more than just stand-up. Right. It's a, it's a movement through this, uh, this journey. Yeah. Wow, man. Well, I'm glad it worked out. Me too. So now, in terms of, uh, y- you know, is any part of your life, um, you know, because this is one of those things, this is one of those type of, of performances, one of those type of specials that have a, a great deal of, uh, of uh, impact on people struggling with, uh, with, with some similar struggles. Mm. And, um, and, you know, I know that it, it's, just, it, it's just sort of interesting to me that, you know, for somebody who, who put a lot of stock in uh in those type of uh the the type of of uh leadership that that people who do positive thinking and 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 do uh motivational type of stuff that was part of your earlier life mm-hmm. are you finding that when you do shows that it's having that type of effect on people yeah it's the first man dude you ask good questions <laughs> um it's the first time that i ever felt like this is what i was supposed to be doing oh that's and fucking so, great to have people come up, you know, San Francisco, I was at Cobbs, and uh, this guy comes up to me in a wheelchair and he says, uh, that stuff you talk about, suicide, he goes, I think about it every day. I go, how long? He goes, I've been in a wheelchair for seven years, I think about it every single day. And he goes, to hear you talk about the way you did, it just, you know, gives me some hope. And that's better than, you know, Dan Quayle and chicken moose butt jerky stuff. But, I mean, it's it's like what somebody has been doing in twenty two fucking years is supposed to have the impact on it, right? Yeah. My life is supposed to have some impact. So. Some some something relevant. Something, yeah, yeah, yeah. That your your experience as a shared experience right. can you know, can make other people feel less alone and right. feel like there's hope. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, shit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's different than just being an entertainer. So so you're getting a little bit of that kind of feedback. Yeah, getting a lot of that stuff, man. Which is good. Are you? Are is there a community? Are you active in any sort of community around this stuff? Uh, you know, I'm part of this third world eye care society. What is that? Where you know, a bunch of third world people don't have eyeglasses and contact lenses. So if you got some old eyeglasses, you bring them to me, and we'll ship them out to third world places. Well, I mean that that's fucking moving shit, man. And you getting feedback? Getting good feedback. CD yeah. is good, man. Yeah. Got put a top one of the top five albums of the year, man. Thank you, brother. Yeah. I'm fucking proud of you, man. We almost <laughs> lost you. We almost, <laughs> we almost lost Daryl by his own hand. Was, Thank oh, God man. for those shoelaces yeah. being clear. <laughs> we we would have been denied the journey, and everything's good with the with the with the lady. Yes, uh, of course, uh, because uh, my faux attempt to be uh, setting you up on a love connection, I've gotten asked repeatedly what happened on that date that I set you up on. I don't know what happened. I, I think that, um, you know, I, I, mean, I don't think I was ready to, to be doing the, the dating thing. Yeah. Number one, I was a little confused by, I wasn't confused, but it was sort of like, like, I think it was one of those decisions where it's like, I know that I can't, you know, really follow through with this thing. So right. am I just going to, you know, sleep with Daryl's friend and yeah. then have that thing? Which you, was the end result. That's all she wanted anyway. She was so mesmerized by your ass on stage. She was like, I want him. I blew it. Yeah, you, know, well. <laughs> yeah, well. you know, sometimes you just, uh, no, she was, uh, she was great. I mean, she was, she was nice, a little kooky, but, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, yeah, just, uh, 
I just hit a wall with some shit. I, I'm trying to think if there was other extenuating, extenuating circumstances that, that maybe would have stopped me from doing that. You know, like, uh, I don't know who, if I was dating somebody or I wasn't, but I know that time period, you know, for those few years after the divorce or after the separation, it was just a fucking, I was I was not uh, in the right state. But, mm-hmm. all right, so, yeah, I should have fucked her. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you had a freebie, man. That I, was 07. I, Where I, were you at? You were doing all the divorce stuff on stage yeah, in 07. Yeah, yeah that was real appealing shit. awesome, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had to put that to rest. You, you know, you keep doing that for too many years. People are like, isn't he over this shit? I mean, how long does this go on for? I mean, he's going to have to let some of this shit go. You were missing clues, though. Good-looking chicks were bringing you cookies after you unearthed your soul on stage all the time. Yeah, well, I always do that, and I get a lot of cookies. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, things started to, all that hate kind of, you know, that bitterness, that anger, boy. You know, when your heart gets hard. Boy, you're just gonna have to. Yeah, you know, that. I mean, I imagine that's a similar thing. You know, when when you were making those amends, it's like you know, you got a certain choice in your life. Am I gonna hold on to this shit? Right. But that's a real choice. Or yeah. am I gonna let the grief start? Am I gonna live my life every day just mad and, <laughs> and not work on it? I'm just gonna walk around and be mad. Yeah. I just don't want to live like that. Yeah, you know yeah. those guys. Yeah. It doesn't. You know, they, and they, and then it's not mad about. Eventually, it's not mad about one thing. Mm-hmm. It's just mad. Yeah. And then they lose sight of what whatever the hell it was that broke their fucking heart. Yeah, you know, and they, they never look at it quite that way. They, no. you know, they always look. You know, people, it's always a broken heart, mm-hmm. you know, one way or the other. But you know, you can turn that into like, I got fucked. They fucked me. It's like no, you you got your heart broken. Yeah, like every fucking person does. And either you just gonna you know, either you're gonna cry about it and let it go, or you're gonna take it out on the world. Exactly. Yeah, well, I think we did all right. Yeah, we did all right. Thanks, Daryl. Hey, man, thank you very much, Mark.